This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So the Garden of Eden in this world is Israel. So we're thrown out of Garden of Eden in the beginning of Rashid. And we're going back to the Garden of Eden during the next four books of the Torah. So Adam and Eve, it was a failure between man and God. And uh, then we have the brothers, Cain and Abel, failure between man and uh, man. Cain kills Abel. And that goes right through this, this whole section of the Torah. This deals with fights between brothers, fights between close relatives, Cain, Cain and Abel, Cain killed Abel. Abraham and Lot separate, even though they're brother-in-laws, and they separate, unfortunately. Ishmael and Yitzhak, the two, Isaac and Ishmael, they separate. Uh, and Yaakov and Esau, eventually they do make up, but they separate again. And then we finish off with Yosef, Joseph, and his brothers, who also fight and eventually make up. So the ending of the Torah, the ending of this book, ends off with brotherly love, so-called brotherly love. We've got to see how how uh, deep it was, deep it ran. And uh, but at least they're not fighting. At least they get get along together somehow. The brothers do get along together. So it starts off with brothers killing each other, and ends up with brothers getting along with each other. Okay. It starts off with man lost from God, and it ends off with man in search of God. Abraham Avinu is in search of God, and his descendants, Yitzhak, Isaac, and Jacob, all search for God and have a, a relationship with God. So interesting how the, the book of Rashid is really like a big cycle. It goes through the cycle of man rebelling against God and then man searching for God. And then it talks about uh, man killing man and man getting along with man. So that is the cycle in the book of Breshid, very simple cycle in the book of Breshid. Um, it also talks about creation and purpose. So Hashem has a master plan, uh, which is uh, the, he's the creator, he's the controller, and then he sort of backs off. Hashem sort of pulls himself out of the picture and lets, leaves man to their own devices. And we see a disaster, the flood. We see the generation of the flood. We see the generation of the tower. And that's because Hashem is pulling himself out of the picture. It's interesting. Rambam, we talked about many times. The Rambam says that the more we think about God and bring God into our lives, the more Hashem is with us, more God is involved in our lives. And these generations did not want God to be involved in their lives. And therefore, Hashem withdrew from human affairs. Hashem withdrew from human affairs. And uh, we know that uh, sin leads to exile. So sin led to the exile of the Garden of Eden. And then the new exile was Yaakov and his sons. They couldn't get along. The children couldn't get along. Led to an exile, a 400-year exile. Not really. It was 210 years in Egypt. So uh, sinning and uh, rebelling against God leads to exile. That's the message of the book of Bereshit. And the next four books is bringing us back from exile. So one book is about throwing us out from is the Garden of Eden, throwing us out from Israel, and four books to go back to Israel. Interesting. The second half of Breshit seems to be devoted to the topic of Teshuvah, of repentance. So Yaakov Avinu makes up with Esau, we talked about, and returns the blessings, the, the, the firstborn blessings to him. Uh, Reuven tries to stop the murder of Joseph, um, repairing his sin with his father's beds, and uh, Yehuda repents for sin with Tamar and the sale of Yosef. He's ready, we talked about last week, how he's ready to enslave himself for his other brother, Binyamin. 
and the brothers as a group, this week's parasha and last week's parasha, repent, admitting their sin in selling Yosef. Okay, it's selling their brother Joseph. So the question we have is, when the parasha started, is what about Yosef doing Teshuva? Doesn't Yosef need to do Teshuva as well? Why? How do we know? Because at the beginning of Parsha by Yeshev, a few weeks ago, Yosef's sins are counted. Number one, it says he spoke Lashonara. He spoke bad about his brothers. He spoke gossip about his brothers. Rashi, the famous biblical commentator, lays it on for us. They were eating Ever Minachai. He tells his father, my brothers were eating a limb from a living animal, which is forbidden even to Noahites. Number two is they were calling the other brothers from the um, from the maids, Bilhan and Zilpah. They were calling them slaves. Number three is they were engaged in immorality. And Yosef was punished for all these three things. They were eating Ever Menachai. It says they actually slaughtered the goat and dipped his coat in the blood. So he's telling his father they ate without slaughtering. And when it comes to dipping his coat in the blood, they slaughtered the goat. Uh, number two is, he says, they were treating their brothers like slaves. And they sold him as a slave. So he got paid back exactly. And he says his brothers were engaging in immorality. Hashem put Potiphar's wife on top of him. Okay, so he's also getting the test of immorality. So whatever he said about them came back to haunt him. He gets paid back. And number two is, he's recounting his dreams with no mention of Hashem. That's interesting. He tells his brothers and his father the dreams. There's no mention of God in his dreams, which is surprising for a man of his level. Uh, Of course, he was still a child. He was still a boy. And he was obviously not on the highest time. And he's growing in his spirituality. So a superficial faith in the significance of dreams doesn't mention Hashem, doesn't seem to be as part of a divine plan which eventually he does, he always tells his brothers, it was God's plan, it was God's plan. Right in the end, that's his teshuva. He's telling them it's God's plan. Number three, his conceit in recounting the dreams to his brothers and his father, the Ramban Nachmanides, in chapter 37, verse 8. They hated him for the dreams and for the conceited way he told them the dreams. So, we find Yosef and his dreams and his ego, he was egocentric. So where is Yosef's teshuva? Where is his repentance in this book? And the answer we see many times is, number one, is when explaining the dreams of the butler and the baker. And when explaining Pharaoh's dreams, he always says, it's not me, it's Hashem. It's not me, it's Hashem. So he learned the lesson about being conceited and you know saying it's me and egocentricity. It's not me, it's Hashem. He always says, even when he's when he's meant to be selling himself as a good dream teller, a dream explainer to Pharaoh, he doesn't. Say, he says it's not me, it's Hashem. It's not me, it's Hashem. So he learned the lesson of conceit. He learns the lesson that Hashem is part of his life, and he's doing teshuva. Yosef comes to understand. He's in the pit. He's then sold as a slave to Potiphar, and then he's in prison. He realizes it's all beyond my control. I am not in control of my life. Everything must be in Hashem's hands. I can't control my life. I thought I'm going to be the leader from day one. I thought I'm going to be this big, mighty ruler from day one. I thought my dreams are going to come true from day one. And he sees his life is totally out of his hands. 
he's being acted upon instead of acting on others he is being acted upon and that's where he learns humility and that's where he learns fear of Hashem and that's where he learns that everything's out of his control it's in God's hands so that's the recognition of his power and his might and uh, and what else he, he wears his repentance from Lashon Araf say, saying bad about the brothers and the answer is, it's interesting, this is a very, very major question in the parasha is, did his father Yaakov, Jacob, ever know that the brothers sold Yosef? Did his father ever realize that the brothers sold Yosef? We don't have anything explicit about this in the parasha. We do have some um, veiled uh, things that Yaakov says and the blessings that seem to hint to some kind of knowledge of this, but was it from Yosef or not? So the Ramban, Nachmandis, writes in chapter 45, verse 27, it seems to me, he says, from a literal leading, reading of the text, that Yaakov was never informed that the brothers had sold Yosef. Interesting. So the Ramban says, I read the whole Torah. I don't find any inkling in the Torah mentioning that Yaakov found out that the brothers sold Yosef. Rather, he thought Yosef got lost in the fields. Whoever had found him in the fields had taken him and sold him to Egypt. And the brothers did not want to tell him about their sin because they feared for their lives. Lest he get angry, Yaakov would get angry and curse them, as he did later on to Reuven and Shimon and Levi. We're going to talk about he didn't really curse them, but he cursed the things they did. And Yosef's moral character that it was did not want to tell him. He didn't, Yosef never told his father. How do we know? Because they said to Yosef before they died, saying that uh, your father asked to forgive us for our sins. So he says, I didn't tell him. <laughs> he never knew about what you did. So if Yaakov knew about the matter, it would have been appropriate for them to ask for their father on his deathbed that he personally commanded Yosef. But he didn't do that. They, after he dies, then they tell Yosef, your father commanded uh, to, to, to forgive us. Never, the father never knew. Ramban proves from the direct approach of Yosef's brothers to him, rather than via their father, that Yaakov never had knowledge of Yosef's sale. In light of this, it seems that Yosef wept because he knew, as the brothers did not, that not only were their words not true, they could not have been true. Their request to their brother arose from a firm conviction that Yosef had told his father the circumstances of his arrival in Egypt. But they were wrong, and Yosef wept because his brothers did not trust him. And they believed that they, his good treatment of them was only because of the fear of his father. So it is all, this is true, that Yosef's repentance reaches his climax here. And the climax is, Yosef never spoke Lashon Hara about his brothers anymore. He never even told his father that the brothers were the one who sold him. And that was his repentance for the bad uh, speech that he spoke about that when he was a kid. So rather, this is a sign of his righteousness. And, uh, he even, and not only that, but the Midrash says he tried to avoid being alone with his father. When his father came back to Egypt, he was in Egypt for 17 years. And Yosef Joseph tried his best to avoid being alone with Yaakov, with Jacob. Why? Because he was scared Yaakov would ask him, what exactly happened to you? Tell me what happened exactly. So Yosef tries to avoid being aware. However, there are other opinions, and most notably Rashi, 
who says that Yos- Yaakov was well aware of the sale of Yosef by his brothers, because throughout the parasha we find a number of occasions where, to Rashi's view, Yaakov shows awareness of the sale of Yosef. Rashi agrees that Yosef's brothers did not tell the truth and they appealed to him, but not because Yaakov did not know the truth, Rather, they changed the words because of peace. So you're allowed to change words because of peace. We have to talk about some other time. So Yaakov was aware, according to Rashi, but he never suspected that Yosef would ever take revenge on his brothers. So for the brothers to say, our father commanded you not to take revenge, Yaakov would never suspect that Yosef would take revenge. Anyway, that's Rashi's opinion. But according to, according to Ramban, let's follow the simple explanation of Ramban, that the, Yaakov never found out who sold Yosef to Egypt. He never found out it was the brothers. Yosef never told him that was Yosef's final teshuva al-Lashon Beautiful. So now we have this great family, the Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, this great family that Abraham had founded, this family that is spreading ethical monotheism in the world, this idea of ethical, ethical monotheism, Abraham Avinu, manages to convey a unique philosophy and lifestyle to his son, Yitzhak, Isaac, and his grandson, Yaakov, Jacob. By the concluding portion of Breshit, the family has left its ancestral home in Israel and is now in the Egyptian exile. By the concluding portion of Breshit, the family is is now the the strangers in a strange land, prone to forces of assimilation and persecution. Nothing has changed. Jews in a foreign land are prone to persecution and assimilation. No matter how successful the family may become in Egypt, if the legacy of Abraham sinks to the bottom of the river Nile, the blessings that he received from God will never be fulfilled. And so therefore, we have a big dilemma um, it's we're talking about uh, that was Ramban Ramban Nachmanides who says that Yosef did not Yaakov did not know about the sale of Yosef. So Ramban Nachmanides, Rambam doesn't talk about this as far as I know. Ramban Nachmanides. Okay. So last week Parasha ends off, and the Jews lived in the land of Egypt in the district of Goshen, and they took possession of it, and they grew and they multiplied exceedingly. Jacob was afraid of assimilation. He sent Yehuda ahead to prepare a place for him in Goshen. Then he makes Joseph swear, Yosef, don't bury me in Egypt. Please, don't bury me. He's pleading with his son, Joseph. Don't bury me in Egypt. Bury me in the cave of Machpelah that I bought with my own money. Jacob is making the point crystal clear. I may be in Egypt, but I am not of Egypt. I may be in Egypt right now, but I am not of Egypt. My eternal resting place can only be where my real roots are. Where are my real roots in Israel? I have to be buried with my father, Yitzhak, and my mother, Rivka, Rebecca, and my grandfather, Abraham, Abraham, and my grandmother, Sarah. I need to be buried with them. The request not to be buried in Egypt is only a first step in this process. Step number two. Look at this is amazing. Jacob is about to die. And Joseph is called to the bedside, arriving with his two sons. The legacy Jacob leaves is the clearest expression of what is necessary for the continuation of our people. Yaakov gives a rambling talk. 
And he refers to Abraham, Abraham's blessing, which he received from God at Luz, which is the essential expression of who he is and what gives his life meaning. I will make you fruitful. I will give you the land to to your children for an everlasting possession. Yaakov, Jacob then tells Joseph that his two sons, Ephraim and Menasheh, are his, Jacob's sons. Your two sons, Ephraim and Menashe, are my sons. We don't know what that means. But his next words intensify the confusion. As for me, when I came from Padan, which is Haran, we're from Lavan, Rachel, my wife, Rachel, died on me. It was in Canaan, I buried her on the road to Ephrat, which is Beit Lechem. Now Jacob turns back to Joseph. And asks, who are these sons? <laughs> so it's very confusing. First he says, your two sons, Menashe and Ephraim, are my sons. And then he talks about how he buried his wife, Rachel, his beloved wife, Joseph's mother, on the way to, to Ephrat, and not in Machpelah. And then he says, who are these two boys over here? Who are these sons? So Rashi explains, he asked Joseph to be buried in Machpelah. And Yosef, Joseph, may have been thinking, how come he didn't bury my mother, Rachel, when she died in Machpelah? How come my, my beloved mother, who was his favorite wife, was not buried in Machpelah where he wants to be buried? How come she's buried on the way? So that's what Yaakov is explaining. He said, it's not my fault. I wanted to bury your mother in Machpelah, but she died on the way. Not only did she die in the way, she died in childbirth. That's pretty messy to die on childbirth. And therefore, I had to bury her straight away. I buried her straight away on the way in Bethlehem. So that's the reason why, even though I'm asking you to bury me in Machpelah, I couldn't bury your mother in Machpelah. So he's giving an excuse. Um, Another reason, as other reasons the the rabbis talk about, is that Rachel was buried there because in the first exile, from the Babylonian exile from Jerusalem, the Jews passed by her grave and her prayers for her children were heard by Hashem. She was praying for her children. Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah tells us, that she prayed for her children and her prayers were accepted by Hashem. And that's the reason why we got back to Israel 70 years later to rebuild the second temple. So Jacob was afraid of, what was he afraid of? And Hashem tells him in, in Beresheva before he leaves Israel, Hashem says, don't be afraid, Yaakov. So what was he afraid of? And the answer is Yaakov was afraid of assimilation. Yaakov, Jacob, our father, was afraid of assimilation. We're living now in a foreign land. We're living amongst a foreign nation. He fears what will happen to his dreams and Hashem's promises. Is this the beginning of the end of Israel? And Hashem reassures him in Beersheba, I'm going to be with you, Yaakov, and I'm going to bring you back, and I'm going to bring them back as well. Yaakov understands that the key to this return to Israel are Yosef's sons, Joseph's two sons born in Egypt. The land of their forefathers is only a dream, a tale. It's not a living reality. They don't see it around them. They don't see their uncles there. They don't see anyone living in Israel. They represent all the future generations born in exile, only dreaming of Jerusalem. Just our our generation is fortunate. 
previous generations were not so fortunate. I remember my grandfather, my father, not so fortunate, dreaming of, of Israel, but they never lived in Israel. Yaakov will bless them, but he wants them to belong to him. I'm going to bless your two sons, Ephraim and Asher Joseph, but I want them to belong to me. What does that mean? I want them to share my dream to return to Israel. I want them to adopt my customs and philosophy. I want them to yearn for Jewish identity as I do. He was an exile. Everything was going well. He was getting rich. He didn't have to go back to Israel, but he did. When I was in Haran with Lavan, everything was going well. I had money. I had, I had tons of money. But nevertheless, I went back to Israel. And, and the going back to Israel was difficult. Why? Because Rachel, my beloved wife, dies on the way in childbirth. What he telling them is to return to Israel. He paid an enormous price. That's what he was telling them. I paid an enormous price. I lost my wealth and I lost my wife. So when Yaakov asked Yosef, whose are these? It's not the absent-minded mumbling of an old man. It is the instruction of a grandfather to a grandson. To whom do you belong? Do you belong to Egypt or to Israel? He knows that only if they maintain the desire to return to Israel, and only if the vision and the ideals and lifestyle of grandparents remain uppermost in their minds, will they truly belong to Israel and not to Egypt? He says, you are my children. Your sons are my children. They have to adopt my ideals, my vision. Yaakov stands in the midpoint of five generations. He gazes back and he sees his grandfather, Abraham. You know, I'm also in the point of five generations. It's interesting how we're all hopefully going to get to that point, that midpoint of five generations. And you look back and look at your grandfather and look forward, look at your grandchildren and say, are they doing the same things? Are we living the dream? My grandfather's dreams. Are my grandchildren living my grandfather's dreams? And I can say, yes, they are living my grandfather's dreams. Baruch Hashem, that's the best blessing we could ever get that our grandchildren are living their grandfather's dreams and their great-grandfather's dreams. And Yaakov is wondering, will my grandchildren, Ephraim and Asher, who are born here in exile in Egypt, are they going to live my grandfather's dreams, Abraham's dreams, or are they going to live a different kind of dream? So he gazes back and he sees his grandfather, Abraham. I wish I met Abraham. It must have been a great figure to meet. And Bezrashem will meet him again in history. But when the revival of the dead, Bezrashem, Abraham. And he asks when he sees his grandsons, each generation has a unique relationship with Israel. Abraham was born in another land, reveals one God to the world, and arrives in the land of Israel to which God had directed him. And from where his vision will grow, his son, Yitzhak Isaac, is the first native son, a true citizen of Israel who will never leave the land. Even when it was a famine, Yitzhak never left the land of Israel in which he was born. Jacob becomes the modern, modern Jew. His exiles and wanderings parallel those of the Jews of the diaspora. Joseph was born in Haran when Yaakov was working for Lavan. And he goes back to Israel, and then he goes to Egypt. When Yaakov asks Joseph to give him his sons, his true intentions are now revealed. He places the chain of Israel, the chain of tradition of Israel, on Menashe and Ephraim.
He wants them to be his sons and not Joseph's sons. Be my sons with my vision. Don't be sons of your father, Joseph, whose visions are all about Egypt and the greatness of Egypt and how to make Pharaoh rich. Have my dreams. Uh, He wants them to be his and not Joseph's. Their first allegiance to Israel and not to Egypt. Joseph gives his sons to Jacob as his legacy and receives in return a double blessing. His two sons, Ephraim and Asher, will become two tribes out of the 12 tribes and equal to Reuven and Shimon. That's the biggest blessing he got from Jacob, that these two sons, since they join the dream of their grandfather, Jacob, they're going to get the same blessings as Reuben and Shimon. There'll be two separate tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. Children born in Egypt chose to adopt the vision of Jacob and Israel as their true father. So the person who really wants to be buried in his homeland, Yaakov, you know, it's a moral lesson to his children. I don't belong here in Egypt. I don't want my body to become part of the earth of Egypt. In the ancient world, the most critical right of citizenship was the right of burial. That is why Abraham Avinu had such a hard time to bury his wife, Sarah, get to buy a burial place because he, that was a true test of citizenship. So the, the wise Jacob understood that Pharaoh expected Joseph to identify with Egypt, but he could not. And he hoped that his children and grandchildren would not either. They were in Egypt, but not off Egypt. They might contribute to Egyptian society, but they could never become Egyptians. Jacob understood that his burial in Canaan would be the greatest test of Joseph's career and would define the character of his descendants forever. Joseph, too, understood that Pharaoh would be shocked at a petition seemingly rejecting the most civilized nation on earth. It was so sensitive that Joseph could not face his patron, Pharaoh, directly. This is when Joseph had to choose between assimilating into Egyptian culture and thereby being accepted eventually into the mainstream or choosing to live or die as a Jew and never being accepted. When I go to Pharaoh and tell him my father wants to be buried outside Egypt, I'm telling him we don't identify with you totally, Egypt. We don't identify with you, Pharaoh. This is the test of Joseph. And this is what Yaakov is trying to teach his children. Yaakov asks to be buried in the cave of Machpelah. And he says in chapter 50, verse 5, Asher kariti li kenan, that I bought, Rashi says, I bought with a pile. The Cree is a pile. I bought with a pile of money. I paid off. Esav. Esav claimed to be the firstborn. Esav was going to inherit the cave of Machpelah. Yaakov bought it from Esav. Now, this is not recorded explicitly in the Torah, but this is based on this word, Karitili, Rashi says. He paid a pile of coins to Esav for this cave. Yaakov took all the money he had earned in Padan Aram, gave it to Esav to buy from him the cave. Why did Yaakov not negotiate? There were two mitzvot which Esav had the edge over Yaakov for 20 years. Number one, Yaakov did not fulfill the mitzvah of living in Israel. He was in Padan Aram, whereas Esav did live in Israel. Yaakov did not fulfill the mitzvah of honoring his parents, and Esav did. So Yaakov, when he comes back 
And he sees Esav, he says, yeah, take all the money I made in Padan Aram so that I can have an inheritance in the land of Israel. That's the worth of Israel to me. I'll give all my money I earned abroad for the sake of living in Israel. Let me be buried in Eretz Israel and let me be buried in the grave of my forefathers. This way I'm honoring my parents as well by being buried with them. So Yaakov in one action showed how both the land and honoring his parents were crucial to him. And by contrast, Esau, by selling the grave, showed how insignificant Israel and his parents were to him. For a pile of gold, he was willing to give up not only his forefather's grave, but also the burial in Israel. Okay, so we have some very interesting ideas over here. This idea of fighting assimilation, the idea of blessing Ephraim and Menasheh to be like uh, Jacob and not like their father. But let's talk a bit about blessings. Blessings. Uh, Jacob blesses his children. So it's interesting because this parasha is what's called a parasha stuma. What does that mean? That normally between all the different parashiot in the Torah, there's a gap. If you want to look for this week's parasha in the Sefer Torah, you won't find any gaps. There's no clues that there's a new parasha over here. So normally there has to be a gap, at least nine empty spaces. Nine empty spaces between one parasha and the next. This parasha, there's no gap. Why is there no gap? In the beginning of the parasha, and it says, Rashi says over there, that Yaakov Avinu wanted to reveal the end. Yaakov Avinu wanted at the end of his life, to tell his children the prophecy, what's going to happen at the end of days. And the parasha Stuma, it's closed parasha, which hints, Rashi says, the fact that this prophecy was sealed from him, was hidden from him, was closed from him. He wasn't allowed to prophesy to his children the end of days. Interesting, why not? And the truth is that we don't want to know the future. Hashem does not allow us to do the future because if we would know the future so clearly, it would affect our free will, our free choices. And therefore Hashem says, no, you are going to make your own future. We are the ones who write our history books. What does that mean? We are the ones with the things that we do and the, and the choices we make are writing our own history book. Even the future is being written. The deeds we do today have a bearing on the history of the world in the future. Everything we do has is a bearing on our history, on our futures. And therefore, if we knew with absolute certainty what the future is going to bring, it would affect our free choices. And therefore, Hashem says, no, that's one thing you're not going to know. And Moshe Rabbeinu, pleased with Hashem, he says, Hashem, show me your face. And Hashem says, you'll never see my face. No living man can see my face, but you can see my back. And the rabbis explain, you can see my back, which is the back of God, which is history of the world. But you cannot see my face, which is the future. So you'll never see my future. You'll never see the future. You can see that my back, when ya- Yaakov wants to reveal the future to his children, he's not allowed to. It's a closed book. It's a stuma. It's a closed parasha. So he blesses his children. The first people he blesses is Manasseh and Ephraim, we talked about, because the grandchildren are more important than your children. What does that mean? Your children are going in a certain direction. But where your grandchildren will go, that's your future. That's where your future is going to lie. So he blesses first the grandchildren. 
And then he blesses his 12 sons, his own 12 sons, a different blessing for each son. So even though we say there are 12 sons and there's two grandchildren, altogether you have 13, the tribe of Levi never became a tribe in the classic sense in terms of inheriting the land of Israel. And therefore, uh, the 12 tribes are include Ephraim and Menasheh and do not include the tribe of Levi. If you include the tribe of Levi, there are really 13 tribes, even though there are 12 sons of, jo- of Jacob. So let's recap. There are 12 sons of Jacob and two sons of Joseph. And Joseph's two sons become two tribes in Israel. And there's 13 tribes, but since Levi was not counted as one of them because he never inherited land in Israel, he was like a wandering uh, teachers, a wander- wandering uh, uh, people of the spiritual element who would wander around the land of Israel. They had cities to live in, but not land and farms and stuff. The Levites never inherited land in Israel. Okay. So they were not counted as one of the 13 tribes. There were only 12 tribes. They were not counted. So when Yitzhak blessed Yaakov, it's interesting. Let's go back a little bit. Esau was heartbroken. Isaac blesses Jacob. Esau feels heartbroken. He says, my father, do you only have one blessing, my father? Please, I beg you, father, please give me a blessing too. So strange. Yitzhak only had one blessing, it seems. And eventually Yitzhak did bless Esau. But his intention was, I'm only going to bless one son. Abraham, it's interesting, Abraham, who has the power of blessing. In fact, Abraham was the first one who Hashem tells Abraham, in you, the nations of the world will be blessed. I'm giving you the power of blessing. Whoever you bless will be blessed. You will be the one who will transfer blessings. But Abraham does not bless anyone. Abraham does not bless Yitzhak. This is strange. Why did Abraham not bless Yitzhak? The rabbis say, because he saw Esau, even though Esau, it says, only became evil when the day Abraham died. But nevertheless, Abraham could see Esau's potential, and he therefore he said, I'm not going to bless Yitzhak before I die. So Abraham never blessed any children. Yitzhak only wants to bless one child, whereas Yaakov has a blessing for everyone. This is a very important point. So Rashi says Abraham didn't bless anyone. Why? He says, since Abraham saw Esau, he wasn't sure if Yitzhak is pure enough to be worthy of a blessing. Abraham said to himself, let the master of blessings come and bless who he sees fit. Abraham is reluctant to bless anyone. Yitzhak only has one blessing to give, and Yaakov has a blessing for everyone. Also, his blessings, Yaakov's blessing. Now, this is interesting. Because we always give the same blessing to each of our children around the table on Friday night. It's interesting that why do we bless our children on Friday night? Because that's when a person is happiest. Person, there's no work, they're off for a day, but uh, all the work is done, the food is cooked, there's good food, there's good wine, and there's a good company. And that's when a person should bless. When a person's heart, when a person's heart is happy person's heart is happy that's when they should bless their children and that's what we do when our hearts are happy we bless our children so blessings that Yaakov gave are tailor-made for each one for each individual each one of his children gets a different blessing so what is a blessing 
And the word bracha is interesting because it comes from another word, which is the word brecha. A brecha is a stream of water. Now we have to understand there's streams of water coming down all the time from heaven. These are the rabbis talk about shefa. Energy is coming down from heaven all the time. And we, by giving a bracha, are directed the stream. We're directing the streams of God down to certain people. The bracha is a direction of stream. And it's also an acknowledgement of these streams. It's acknowledgement of God. God is the source of all the energies. God is the source of all our, our blessing. So these blessings, it's a stream, uh, the conduit all the way to God. And it's the opposite of a curse. The blessing is opposite of a curse. Baruch atah Hashem, we say in all our blessings, blessed are you Hashem, what does that mean? You, Hashem, is the source of all our blessings. The Arizal says, the more we make blessings, the more we trigger blessings. We trigger blessings by saying blessings, by, by acknowledging the source of our blessings. Hashem says, I'll give you more. So Hashem is the source of our blessings. And even though Yaakov, he curses, seemingly curses uh, his two sons, uh, Shimon and Levi, for their anger, he doesn't curse them. He curses their anger, he doesn't curse them. Now, the psychologists tell us when you rebuke your children, you never say you are bad. I don't like what you're doing. You are good, but I don't like what you're doing. I don't like your deeds. That's exactly what Yaakov teaches us. I hate your anger. I don't hate you. Your anger is cursed, but you are not cursed. Anger is a curse. However, comments, Whoever cements one to Hashem is a bracha. Whoever moves a person away from Hashem is a curse. So things that bring us closer to God are blessings. Things that keep us further away from God are curses. So Yaakov, by blessing his children, are trying to bring them closer to children. But let's try and understand blessings that we give to our children, to other people, in a deeper concept. Number one is a blessing is inspirational. It's meant to be inspirational. This is what I want from you. This is what I think of you. I think of you deserving of this greatness, deserving of this path. I'm beating a path for you in the future. So it's psychological. It's motivational. That's what the blessing is for. Number two, it's metaphysical. Okay, so it's metaphysical. I'm involving God in your life. I'm conferring God's name on you. It's metaphysical. So it's, is it just direct inspiration and motivation, but it's linked. It's not just inspiration, which is just uh, physical, psychological inspiration. It's linking blessing with Hashem, the source of blessing. So it's metaphysical. It's not just a regular uh, secular blessing. It's a metaphysical blessing, linking God with person. It's giving, granting direction. Number three is direction. What are the aspirations of the blesser? What do I want from you, my child, my son, my grandson? Is it wealth? Is it health? Is it wisdom? What are my aspirations for you? It's interesting. Because when King David blessed his son, Shalomor, this is very interesting. The only thing he said to him, he says, Shalomor, be a man. <laughs> what does that mean, be a man? Be a man means be Created, you're created in the image of God. Mankind was created in the image of God. A human being is an image of God. Be an image of God. That is a tremendously revealing insight of where King David was coming from. What are my aspirations for you, 
Shalomo of Saint King Solomon, my son. I want you to be a creation image of God. So number four is a blessing is a musar. It's a can also be a rebuke. In fact, Rashi says over here that Jacob never blessed his children before his deathbed. Why? Because he wanted to rebuke them. And the blessings is a kind of rebuke. Some of the blessings are rebukes. Revenge, Shimon, Levi are rebukes. He's, he didn't want to rebuke them before he's going to die because they may leave him and join his enemies against him. They may go and join Esau. They may go and join Ishmael. It's a very strange Rashi that when you rebuke someone, you're really pushing them away. So different ways, obviously, different ways of rebuking. So Jacob kept his rebukes to his last day so he wouldn't leave him and join his enemies. And same thing applies to Moshe Rabbeinu. He only rebukes the Jewish people at the end of his life. They shouldn't leave him. So Musar rebukes. So blessings can also be, the purpose of a blessing is to improve the individual, to give them some rebuke and Musar in a very nice way, in a ways of a blessing. Uh, number five, blessings can be general, which is what we do on Friday nights. We use the Birkat Kohanim, the blessing of the priests, we use the blessing, the standard blessing what the priests give us. And uh, that's a general blessing. But then there's a custom-made blessing. A blessing made specifically for that individual. Like a, a parent or a grandparent can see the flaws in the person and they bless that person to fix those flaws. I see. This is what is interesting. What Moshe Rabbeinu tells Yoshua. He tells Joshua, his disciple, who's the next leader, he says, Chazak ve'ematz, be strong and be strong, be strong and be strong. Why? Obviously, he saw a flaw in Joshua, that he was weak, that he couldn't resist the, the pressures of the people. So he keeps telling Joshua. A blessing to Joshua was, be strong, Joshua. You're going to be the leader. You have to be strong in your relationship with God and be strong in the relationship with people. So interesting. So it's, it's got a custom made like a master tailor. Yaakov Avinu was a master tailor. He knew how to make each blessing fit each child. So uh, interesting. And that's, that's what we have to do as parents. So it's very hard to be a parent. It's very hard to be a grandparent. Actually, it's very easy to be a grandparent. But it's very hard to be a good grandparent. It's very hard to be a good parent. So one of the things we have to do is bless our children, which is to guide them emotionally. Uh, spiritually, physically, into the right direction. And I just want to end off with this beautiful line. King David says in Psalms that uh, children are like arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior. So why children like arrows? And the answer is, number one is, you pull back the arrow. To shoot the arrow, you put it back. Where do you put it to? You put it to your heart. The further you pull back your children to your heart, the further they're going to go, just like an arrow. The more you pull the arrow, the further the, the arrow is going to fly. So pull your children to your heart. That's number one, lots of love. And then the, uh, the equivalence to an arrow is you cannot guide the arrow once it's flown. Once it's gone out of your hand, that's it. You can't guide it. And that's the answer. Children can only be guided while they're in our hands. And this age is getting lower and lower. Why? Because children feel like they're adults before they are ready for it. And they don't want to listen anymore. And therefore, the key to raising children is at young ages. Get them into good habits, direct them. And when they grow up, give them lots of blessings 
that will show them what your aspirations are. Give them blessings. If you give them blessings of health, child says, okay, my grandfather thinks health is very important. You give them blessings for wealth. My grandfather thinks wealth is very important. You give them blessings to be wise. Then they'll say, oh, my grandfather thinks wisdom is very important. You give them blessings to be righteous. Ah, righteousness, that's a good value. You give them blessings to be spiritual. That's a good value. So our blessings are aspirations and guidance for the future generations. Okay, everyone, I want to give you blessings. Bezrat Hashem, all of you uh, in the wide world around us. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.